We're streamlining regulations, setting free our farmers. Oh, are you happy you voted for me? You are so lucky that I gave you that privilege. Oh, we're something. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I don't know if it's lucky. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we're heard on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ 90.1. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN 94.7. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ 97.3. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. A lot to get to, uh, including a little bit later, Desi Doyen and the latest Green News Report. Good evening, afternoon, or morning, Desiree. (laughs) All of the above. Uh, Had some, uh, well, some big news uh, for uh, looking back at 2017, the costliest year ever for weather disasters in the U.S., an oil tanker explosion, or at least uh, collision, it's on fire, has not yet exploded. Flaming oil tanker, never a good China. thing. in China, no, it is not, uh, and much more, including even some good news in our Green News Report coming up. And uh, since our Green News Report earlier today, um, a uh, tragic update as well to that uh, as the predicted mudslides out here in California Uh, As rain is pounding the region on Monday night and Tuesday, uh, have now taken several lives. We'll have the latest in a little bit on that as well. Uh, But with the very appropriate criticism in recent weeks of the corporate media's continuing obsession with the so-called Trump voter, the forgotten man, uh, the Trump voter trying to understand who they are, The corporate media has been offering us feature after feature after feature on, frankly, often racist, right-wing, angry, brainwashed Trump voters. Really, you need to go no further than that caller, uh, Shannon, on yesterday's show. (laughs) Yeah, she was a real doozy. Uh, Yeah, well, she was furious about uh, something to have to do with uh, California Governor Jerry Brown raising her taxes, but she didn't know what taxes he had actually raised or why they were raised, what the money would go for. And while I was hoping that she would explain herself and her anger, she just kept yelling and ranting. And uh, for some reason, I think 
I think she even called me gay. Uh, which I think she, not that I, there's anything wrong with no, that, th- but it yeah, was just kind of weird. I think she meant it as an insult, but uh, really, it's it's all the picture that you need of the so-called Trump voter. Uh, hearing that call, uh, that and another caller on yesterday's show who told us that the UN was separating men from women to break up the the families for some sort of world takeover by 2030. Did you hear that one, Des, or were you screening I, calls during I, that one? Thankfully, I was screening calls during that one. Uh, in response uh, today, listener Carol S. up in Minnesota writes writes in, uh, writes in to me via bradcast at bradblog.com to say, Brad, as I was listening to your show on AM 950, I certainly appreciated your calm demeanor in responding to the yellow woman slash hater about taxes as well as the person and his obsession with the worldwide cabal since I do not participate in much social media I forgot about the people who spend their energy screaming and hating thanks for all the solid info about voting issues too sincerely Carol S well thank you for that note Carol smart call by the way staying away from social media these days (laughs) indeed uh, and thanks for listening, as well as for the note. If if anyone missed those calls, you can download yesterday's show at bradblog.com for free anytime. Though, of course, we always appreciate very much those of you who also take the time to stop by bradblog.com slash donate uh, to be an active supporter of the listener-supported Bradcast. I, I don't know that we have much to learn from callers like Shannon on yesterday's show, other than that they are very angry, but mostly because they are uh, disinformed and don't know it. After years of Fox News and right-wing talk radio and now Trump continuing to lie to them and to tell them all matter of fake news that now they believe to be real more now than ever because, hey, he's the president of the United States after all, and he just told them. In any event, the corporate media continues to feature stories on these so-called forgotten Trump voters in so-called Trump country for some reason, but they rarely bother to report on the majority of voters who did not vote for Donald Trump, even if they happen to live in Trump country. So we'll do that shortly. We'll uh, we'll speak to an Iowa farmer in so-called Trump country who did not vote for Donald Trump, uh, as far as I could tell. Uh, And as far as I could tell, he never would. Frankly, we'll speak with sustainable family farmer John Gilbert in Iowa momentarily. But let's start today with what will suffice as our good news for the moment. No, it is not that uh, Steve Bannon has now been fired from Breitbart News today. That was uh, minutes ago. Did you hear about that, Desi Doing? <laughs> I heard that he was stepping down. Yes, he's he's stepping aside. He has other things to do. Uh, I suspect uh, everyone will hear plenty about that elsewhere, and I frankly don't know if that qualifies for good news or not, frankly. It's more just cable news chum, it seems to me. But uh, I think this is good news. The rival Korea's move toward reducing their bitter animosity Tuesday during rare talks with North Korea agreeing to take part in next month's Winter Olympics in South Korea. The, the countries also agreed to hold more discussions on easing tension along their border and to reopen a military hotline. The first meeting of its kind between the nations in about two years was arranged after North Korean leader Kim Jong-un made a push for improved ties with South Korea following a year of escalating tensions with the outside world over his expanding nuclear and missile programs. 
Critics say Kim may be trying to divide Seoul and Washington, D.C. in a bid to weaken international pressure and sanctions on the North. In comments that appeared to back up those critical views, Chief North Korea Delegate Ri Son Gwan said his country's nuclear weapons are aimed at the United States, not South Korea. All of our state-of-the-art strategic weapons like atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs, and intercontinental ballistic rockets are completely targeting the U.S. They are not targeting our compatriots in the South, Ree said. See how it's, see why it's difficult to, to tell if this is good or bad news at this point? <laughs> but I think it is good news. Uh, despite Ree's comments, the agreements were still seen to be a positive move, AP notes. Chief South Korean delegate Cho Myung Gyon described the accords as a, quote, first step towards the development of South-North relations. Re-read what he called a joint statement after the talks under which the two Koreas agreed to actively cooperate in the Olympics to, quote, enhance the prestige of the Korean people. He said North Korea will send a delegation of officials, athletes, cheerleaders, journalists to the February Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea. South Korea's Cho said North Korea's participation in the Pyeongchang Games will provide us with a chance to reduce tension on the North Korea Peninsula. I, uh, I'm i sorry, on the uh, Korean Peninsula. I think that's very good news. Well, I, yeah. Uh, uh, Donald Trump may or may not like it because he doesn't get to, you know, uh, bang his... His little tiny drum. his uh, chest. and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, but he'll do it anyway. He'll continue to do it. But I think that's good news. In another key accord on Tuesday, North Korea also agreed to hold military talks aimed at reducing animosity along the border and restore a military hotline uh, with South Korea, according to Cho. The restoration of the hotline was the second in kind in about a week. All major inter-Korean communication channels had been shut down over North's nuclear program in recent years. But the North uh, reopened one channel last week as signs emerged of improving ties. And Cho said that South Korea also called for talks at an early date to discuss denuclearization of the Korean peninsula to promote peace, although the North did not confirm that. Uh, he said that the two Koreas would continue high-level talks but didn't give a date for the next meeting. The, uh, these talks at all were made possible thanks to a temporary suspension of military exercises uh, with the U.S. and South Korea. A longer suspension may be unacceptable for Seoul because it would undermine its alliance with its chief ally, the U.S., which wants to put more pressure on North Korea. The North views those drills as a rehearsal for an invasion. And again, I just have to remind listeners, imagine if uh, anybody who was seen as an adversary to us were conducting military drills on the border in, say, Canada or on the border in Mexico or on our west off our west coast or, or east coast. I, I just, you know, would we uh, stand by and, and, you know, do nothing about that and, and allow them to say, oh, we're, these are just practices. We're just doing drills here. No, I don't think we would. So I can understand how they feel in that regard. Donald Trump on Saturday expressed hope for progress from these talks, and he said he was open to talking with Kim himself. Himself. 
That after, wasn't it just a few weeks ago, he was telling uh, Rex Tillerson, don't bother that uh, conversations with North Korea are useless. There's no reason to talk with them at all. <laughs> yeah, but that's because you would that would only be weird if you expected Trump to remember what he said five minutes ago, much True. less a couple of weeks ago. True. And it also shows that that the idea of the U.S. conducting military exercises with South Korea in order to add pressure is adding pressure in the wrong way because now South Korea, by not doing that, has managed to get North Korea to the table. Diplomacy works. Yeah, but if they weren't doing the exercises in the first place, they wouldn't be able to make this concession of stopping the practices, which has led to the talks. So would you like to apologize to the president <laughs> now, Desi Doyne? U.N. No. Ambassador Nikki Haley uh, said uh, later on Tuesday that Washington is not changing its conditions on talks with the North Korea. This was after the comments from Trump uh, over the weekend saying that uh, he was open to talking with Kim. Uh, Haley said that uh, that Kim first needs to stop weapons testing for a, quote, significant amount of time before there would be any direct talks. Actually, as I recall it, the terms were that they had to be willing to denuclearize entirely uh, before there would be any talks. But, hey, I don't want to get in the way here. I'm not going to mention that. Uh, if we were even accidentally moving away from Trump's threats to annihilate North Korea, as he threatened recently during a speech to the U.N. General Assembly and moving closer to peace, I will take it. I will keep my mouth shut. And I will thank our very fine president, Donald J. <laughs> Trump, for making all of this possible. Uh, you know, the meanwhile, back here at home, I remember when we used to think North Korea was the crazy country? Uh, well, uh, back here in the U.S., uh, controversial former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe, Joe Arpaio says he will run for the Senate in Arizona, throwing a bomb into the campaign to replace retiring Senator Jeff Flake, Republican of Arizona. Yes, this may also be cable news chum, uh, but it's also a sign that the Republican Party has not yet figured out how to overcome the disaster that led to their loss of the U.S. Senate race in Alabama. Just last month to Democrat Doug Jones after the Republicans put up a crazy Joe Arpaio like far right winger with a dubious past as their Senate nominee in the uh, special election to fill that seat left vacant by Trump's attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Uh, Arpaio told TPM uh, on Tuesday morning, quote, I think Washington needs me. The president needs me. I've got a lot of experience, 60 years. I've dedicated my life serving our country. We'll see what happens, Arpaio said. Uh, TPM reports that Arpaio's decision to run creates further chaos in the race to replace Flake, who decided to retire earlier this year after his criticism of President Trump erased his chances at winning a GOP primary, or so he thinks, or so Republicans think, I guess. The 85-year-old former Maricopa County Sheriff Arpaio has a long history of controversial actions and hostility to immigrants, his department's sometimes brutal policing tactics, embrace of racial profiling, his refusal to change them, in the face of court orders led to his being convicted of contempt earlier this year. But you'll recall he was spared from a possible prison sentence when President Trump decided to pardon his longtime ally. Uh, you'll also recall that Roy Moore down in Alabama had also refused to follow court orders twice 
and was thus removed from his role as uh, as chief justice of the Alabama State Supreme Court. How is it that those claiming to be the most patriotic of Republicans are so patriotic that they refuse to follow the rule of law, the federal court system, stuff dictated by the U.S. Constitution? How does that work out? How are they patriots? I don't get it. You have any idea on this? Am I, am I missing? What am I missing here? They are only consistent in their inconsistency and the fact that they seem to believe and perhaps might be right that their base won't remember this next time it rolls around. Or they won't care. Or they'll or be they happy that they put a thumb in the eye of Uncle Sam. That'll show them that's how patriotic we are. Screw the U.S. We love the U.S. Uh, I guess I guess that's what the message is. Arpaio said, as as sheriff, I've done some controversial investigations. He talked up his earlier work as a drug enforcement at the Drug Enforcement Agency, later bringing up the construction of a border wall as a way to curtail the influx of, quote, drugs destroying our country. Hey, newsflash for the disgraced uh, Sheriff Arpaio. The drugs destroying our country are being made right here in this country by American pharmaceutical manufacturers. Someone may want to let Arpaio know that. Like the old movie line says, the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) If elected, Arpaio would immediately become the Senate's oldest member. Senators uh, Dianne Feinstein, who's also up for re-election this year, Democrat from California, and Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, are both 84 Arpaio will square off with uh, uh, former state senator Kelly Ward, another far-right conservative in this race. Um, Congress uh, Congress member Martha McSally is the establishment favorite. Uh, she would like to, uh, well, the Republicans would like her to win, giving them the perhaps the best chance of holding on to that seat. She's expected to announce her own bid in the coming days, but the seat is now uh, certainly a top Opportunity for Democrats to pick up from uh, from Republicans. I would say particularly so if Arpaio is able to win the nomination in this uh, Republican primary. Hey, Steve Bannon needs a new job, I understand. Get out there, Steve. Get to work. Arpaio needs you. Democrats, for their part, are rallying around Kirsten Cinema, Democrat from Arizona. The state uh, is, has been in recent years quickly trending towards the Democrats because of the growth in the Hispanic community. Drives them crazy, I know. Trump won it by just four percentage points last fall. Uh, Arpaio also uh, lost on that same day back in uh, November 2016. He lost his race, his reelection contest for sheriff of Maricopa County. Uh, which is the most populous one. That's Phoenix. Republicans worry that Arpaio, uh, if he wins the nomination, uh, that uh, that will cost them the seat and possibly control of the Senate right now after that uh, debacle in in Alabama. Republicans have just a two-seat lead, 51 to 49. So it's unclear right now whether his campaign or Arpaio's campaign will ultimately uh, help his party by splitting the hardline vote and then giving the establishment uh, Republican uh, McSally a better chance to win the nomination. So that could be a thing. Uh, or he could be a big enough celebrity that uh, he might win the primary for the U.S. Senate in the state of Arizona. In any event, he declined to discuss his primary opponents, but he does not sound worried about his chances to win. He said, I've never lost a Republican primary in my political career. I don't expect to lose this one either. 
Well, sounds like the New York Times or NPR or the Washington Post may need to head out to rural Phoenix and do a profile on the forgotten Trump Arpaio voters or something. Uh, as they do, as as they always as they all have been doing of late in in whatever they believe to be Trump country, wherever that is, because apparently they all deserve profiles. Democrats and progressives, they deserve little or no coverage whatsoever, unless their name is Oprah Winfrey. But uh, I digress. Let's take a quick break and we will head up to Trump country ourselves but to speak with a farmer in Iowa who isn't buying the Donald Trump Fox News Breitbart Steve Bannon BS, we'll find out why with longtime sustainable family farmer John Gilbert next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. They may not. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, if you follow the Twitters and the Facebooks uh, and other social media in recent weeks, progressives have been very critical of many corporate media outlets for their continuing feature stories, profiles on Republican voters in so-called Trump country, wherever that may be at any given moment. The effort has resulted in things like sympathetic profiles of a neo-Nazi by the New York Times several weeks ago and other stories that seem to go out of their way to downplay the racism and Fox News-fueled anger of many voters who are supposedly furious about something or other. That led them to vote for Donald Trump, although it is never altogether clear exactly what they are so furious about. Bradblog.com commentator Donald Pruden Jr. recently wrote in uh, with a comment to complain about, quote, the corporate media's and NPR's obsession with the Trump voter. MSNBC's Chris Hayes even coined a term for this journalism journalistic genre, says Pruden, the Trump pastoral. Donald Trump, uh, uh, Donald Pruden, I should say, describes the genre as a fundamentally ridiculous project chronicling the vibrations of this special demographic, one that is supposedly more special than the rest of us. But here is another question, he says, given that Trump lost the popular vote by three million, why are there no Clinton pastorals given Bernie Sanders surprising show? Why no Sanders pastorals? Why are no journalists checking in on those who did not vote for Trump? After all, those people outnumber those who did. Heck, he says, those non-Republican warm bodies outnumber the Republican ones. Somehow, uh, Pruden goes on to speculate that even had Clinton won, somehow we would, we, uh, would still be beleaguered with this genre of journalism. Even in defeat, we could not escape Trump, he argues. 
Well, I think Donald uh, may be on to something there, but it also overlooks the fact that there are many non-Trumpers in so-called Trump country struggling with many of the same things that the Trumpers say anyway that they are upset about, but coming in with solutions other than simply overturning the apple cart and burning everything down. Those voters also try to reach out to the voters in those so-called Trump pastorals to try and help them see reason rather than anger as a solution to many problems, real problems or perceived problems based on, frankly, a lot of fake information fed to them by Fox News and, yes, now even the president of the United States, Donald Trump. The Washington Post recently filed one of those Trump pastorals as the fifth part in a series they call The Forgotten, the issues at the heart of Trump's America. In this uh, long, detailed report from the Post, published at the very end of the year, headlined Smothered and Shoved Aside in Rural America, they focus on an Iowa farmer and rancher and a huge Trump supporter by the name of Annette Sweeney. The Post explains that Sweeney, quote, has felt a growing disconnect between how people think in cities and in places like Buckeye, Iowa, a town of 108. In her view, farmers were too often shoved aside during the presidency of Barack Obama, while environmentalists and conservationists, many of whom live nowhere near a farm, she says, took over the national conversation. She's upset because Obama's agricultural department uh, supported an idea, for example, from the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health for something called Meatless Mondays to reduce impact on the environment, promote sustainable agriculture and dietary health. But she says that felt like a, quote, slap in the face to farmers and ranchers. Sweeney was also furious about a much misreported 2015 Obama-era regulation called the Waters of the United States, or WOTUS, which the Environmental Protection Agency said was aimed at keeping pollutants, including fertilizer, manure, and other farm runoff, out of streams and creeks that feed the nation's waterways. Farm runoff is a leading cause of water pollution, contaminating drinking water, spawning toxic algal blooms and killing fish, the paper notes. But to Sweeney, WOTUS felt like the government's hands on her throat. Since taking office, Donald Trump has ordered the EPA to reverse that regulation, which has made farmers like Sweeney very, very happy. Iowa, of course, is an early caucus and battleground state for presidential elections. The Washington Post says it's representative of the political divide between rural and urban areas. In the 2016 general election, for example, Donald Trump won 93 of 99 counties in Iowa. However, Hillary Clinton won the five most populous counties and six of the seven largest cities. In the end... The accumulated total of rural voters, however, was enough to hand Trump a victory in 2016. But it wasn't always that way. Other than in 2004, Iowa had gone to the Democratic presidential candidate in every election all the way back to 1988. And while some may consider Iowa to be that so-called Trump country, some who live there, even in those rural areas, may not agree. Washington Post, while focusing most of their article on Sweeney's grievances, also had the decency to at least pause 
to focus momentarily on a man named John Gilbert, who lives just four miles downstream from Sweeney. And John Gilbert thinks there should be more, not less, rules to protect the environment, according to The Washington Post. Yes, even in Trump country. 68-year-old John Gilbert and his wife Beverly operate the family-owned Gibraltar Farms, a 770-acre diversified crop, dairy, and livestock farm in rural Hardin County, Iowa, where his family has farmed this land since 1893. Wow. John and Beverly received the 2017 Sustainable Agriculture, uh, Agriculture Achievement Award from Practical Farmers of Iowa, granted each year to an individual or couple that has shown exemplary commitment to sustainable agriculture and sharing knowledge with others. They also mentor beginning and aspiring farmers over the years, and they participate in public outreach and on-farm research through Practical Farmers of Iowa John Gilbert, I'm happy to say, joins us now from freezing cold Iowa. John Gilbert, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Let me uh, add one thing to begin with, sure. and that is that uh, we don't do what we do by ourselves. We have uh, uh, several other family members. I've got uh, one son and mm -hmm. one brother and our wives, and uh, on our 770 acres, we managed to... Uh, keep one full-time employee and uh, a couple part-timers. Yeah, I know there are, uh, the whole family is out there working the land for, uh, since 1893, just amazing. And I want to talk to you about what sustainable farming actually means, why you won the award for it, how you reach out to others to help them understand what you're doing. But I was struck, uh, I'm going to get to that, but I, I was struck by the Washington Post piece uh, that noted many others in your area are also Unlike Sweeney, concerned about threats to clean water in the Trump era, uh, including, as the paper describes, a lack of safeguards on the millions of tons of pig manure generated annually by Iowa hog farmers, rising toxicity observed in catfish caught in local rivers, uh, and the putrid pea soup-colored carpet of algae that has bloomed on local lakes, leading to warnings against swimming uh, in those lakes after E. coli and other contaminants have been found in recent years. Uh, w w were the concerns over the waters of the United States rule or WOTUS, uh, w are, are those a real threat to the livelihood of farmers like yourself? Uh, did it feel like the government's hands were on your throat, as your neighbor Annette Sweeney describes it? Well, I, I have to say that uh, I, I have no such fears. Uh, the big lie in the whole uh, fear over, over the water's rule was that uh, farmers were exempted. Most farming activity was exempted. Um, I think it's also clear that uh, that was an issue that was uh, ginned up almost entirely by the uh, Farm Bureau as a way to scare farmers. And I think farmers were duped into um, uh, opposing that because farmers tend to have a higher uh, public profile uh, acceptance among uh, among the general public than than some other groups are. Um, just just whose water they were the Farm Bureau was carrying for. I'm not sure whether it was developers or there's some some investment group, some gr group of investors out there that you know that are going to be hurt more by it than farmers ever will be. And and uh, you know anybody who looked into it at all really quickly realized. It was not going to be a problem for farmers. It was just an issue that was all being 
being generated to uh, scare farmers. But uh, so how do we explain all of these farmers, these folks like Annette Sweeney, who, who are scared to death of this, who are furious about it, who you know claim that a, a puddle on their lands would be uh, regulated uh, by the feds somehow? Were they were they just wrong? Did they not bother to look into it? Were they fed misinformation out there in Iowa? Yes, to all of the above. Um, <laughs> I, 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 th- I think the critical thing here to understand is that um, one, one thing Trump is, is probably best at is picking up on fears of a particular group and being able to uh, stoke those. And I think that's why that issue became, you know, something he, he, he quickly uh, picked up on. But, uh, you know, it was all... Um, in my estimation, was was all a manufactured fear. The American Farm Bureau. It sounds like a uh, like a federal agency, but really, that's a, a a lobby shop for big ag, is it not? Well, it that's one way to put it, and I wouldn't argue with you on that. Okay, uh, Donald Trump spoke to the Farm Bureau, uh, the American Farm Bureau, their annual convention. It was the first time, apparently, that a sitting president had spoken. Uh, to the group uh, in about 25 years. And, you know, his speech, uh, as usual, was sort of about him, uh, less about farmers. uh, But he claimed that uh, he's been cutting taxes for farmers, for family farms. uh, And he talked about the WOTUS, the Waters of the United States uh, rule. Let me me play a clip of that and, and get your thoughts, John. My administration is in the process of rolling back a rule that hit our farmers and ranchers very, very hard. The terrible waters of the United States rule. You know about that. It sounds so nice. It sounds so innocent. And it was a disaster. You know that. It sounded so good. The title is so beautiful. That's where it stopped. It was absolutely (laughs) — and I have to say this. When I signed it, I say, oh, I'm going to be killed on this one. And you know what? People came to me, and they saw me, and they were crying. Men that were tough and strong, women that were tough and strong, they'd see me, their tears coming down their eyes, because I gave them back their property. I gave them back their farms. They couldn't use them. We uh, ditched the rule, I call it. We ditched the rule. That was uh, Donald Trump on on uh, Tuesday speaking to the American Farm Bureau Convention. He had a big crowd, a lot of a uh, lot of farmers there who were uh, very happy with his uh, remarks. John Gilbert, your response to I don't know if you saw the rest of his speech, but your response to tr- to Trump's comments there. Well, I think if uh, somebody were to ask him to actually, uh, you know, come up with one case where. Uh, you know that that rule had ever interfered with any farmer. Um, you know he he or the Farm Bureau would 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 probably uh, be hard pressed. The only rule that uh, I've ever heard him come up with is the one in California, and quite frankly, that was the Army Corps and not uh, not the EPA or the Clean Waters Act, and certainly wasn't under this rule. Um, you know, and it's the same sort of thing they that the. Uh, 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 Trump administration did with the uh, state tax when they they tried to rule it back in the Farm Bureau. Politicians and Republicans have you know called it the death tax for a long time and uh, always say oh it's 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 hard on farmers. Well, there's almost never been a farmer who's who's ever been af- affected enough by it that they had to uh, do like they claim and 
and sell the farms. So, I mean, these are all just um, manufactured fear tactics. Um, I think it's important to remember that uh, <clears throat> Trump has famously said uh, so, some years back that if he ever uh, ran, he'd run as a Republican because conservatives are a lot easier to scare, and I think that's pretty much uh, just you know just another example of that. Well, I, you know, I mentioned in the intro, John, uh, all of these articles we've heard uh, about uh, Trump voters, people living in Trump country, so-called, uh, you know, in, in rural areas, they're supposed to be strongly for Donald Trump. But what leads someone like you, John, with a, a long family history on the land in Iowa to have such a really radically different outlook than someone like Annette Sweeney, who lives just a few miles uh, uh, down the creek there? Her family has also been working the same land in Iowa for about as long, I think. Uh, how is it that uh, if you and they have such radically different outlooks on this? We're all pretty much products of our, you know, life experiences. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd have to say that probably I've, we've just had different life experiences. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, my, you know, my wife and I... Um, you know, we're veterans of the farm crisis, and, uh, you know, like a lot of my neighbors, you know, we struggled uh, mightily for, uh, you know, quite a while, um, and, you know, it's like a lot of traumatic experiences people go through. You you know, afterwards, you're really not quite sure how you survived, but, uh, or if you have completely, you know, you uh, look back on it and, and are just amazed, but, um, you know, in that process, um at some point, um, I came to understand that um, uh, as much as you, you, you like to play the victim and as much as you think there should be some silver bullet and as much as uh, you'd like to have, uh, um, you know, something magical happen to uh, generate more income, to pay more bills, that it isn't going to happen. You know, that uh, uh, there's nobody out there that is, concerned enough about whether you stay in business uh, or make a living that they're ever going to do anything that's going to make a difference. And so we had to decide at some point that, uh, you know, we were going to have to just change the way, uh, you know, we approached our business. And uh, I'm not sure that it was necessarily an epiphany as much as it was a general realization or over time. And we came to understand that uh, rather than relying on um, what uh, the input suppliers and, and all the so-called experts mm-hmm. were telling us that we needed to be spending to uh, raise a crop and raise our livestock, that we had to make those decisions on our own. And quite frankly, that's you know kind of how we've gotten to the point of you know what they call sustainability. But um, the bigger issue here is that um, we changed gradually um, and a lot of our neighbors didn't mm-hmm. and uh, um, what was an evolutionary change for us you know looks revolutionary you know to a lot of our neighbors and so mm-hmm. we just uh, you know go on a slightly different path and over time you know those paths have diverged mm-hmm. um, and and I want to ask you about that specifically. As I mentioned, you and your wife, Beverly, uh, were honored with the uh, 2017 Sustainable Agricultural Achievement Award from Practical Farmers of Iowa. 
Um, A, congratulations. B, thank you. And C, uh, when did you uh, switch to sustainable, what is considered to be sustainable agricultural practices? And, and what is it? What is sustainable farming? Well, you know, the whole issue of sustainability stems uh, from a basic acceptance of the fact that there is not enough in this world for everybody to have all they want. And it's whether it's enough water, enough food, enough energy, enough power, enough room, there is not enough. And that means that we have to um, share, I guess for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the one thing that has kept humanity above the animals over all these years um, is the ability to control our greed. And I think that, uh, um, you know, that that has been the, kind of the, the crux of a lot of religions was some way to enshrine controls on greed. And uh, if you don't um, control greed, then you use up too many resources today and don't have any left for the future. There really is no room for greed in agriculture. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of the, the crux of what sustainability is all about. Agriculture in itself is strictly uh, the, the process by which humanity stays alive. You know, we in agriculture do a lot of things, but basically we're trying to keep keep humanity alive. The question we that we don't know is how long forever is. Mm. And if we're going to keep humanity alive, you know, essentially forever, um, we have to make sure that we have the resources available to... Um, you know, our, our, our descendants thousands of years from now it took to continue to, to support humanity. When you put those two things together, um, you know, you end up with a system of farming that is much more aligned with natural systems. You tend to um, use principles of nature rather than of the test tube or the chemical companies or the... Uh, Oh, you know the the, the big the big expert in, input suppliers who mm-hmm. tend to be more interested in making money off of what you do than than you making money. Um, is it is so, it cost you know, is it costly? Uh, I mean, I, I I expect that the people who who don't take these measures will say, well, it's uh, it's impossible. We can't make money if we if we do things sustainably. And and I would answer that you know the the, the problem is not profitability as much as it is the way uh, agriculture is structured and the way, you know, people's businesses are structured. Um, As I said in the opening, you know, we do support a number of people here on our farm. We have been in business for quite some time, and, you know, we're in the, uh, you know, in in the business of staying in business. And so, um, you know, I don't know that everything we do is necessarily sustainable, but you know, that is kind of the approach that we take on everything we do. We don't um, probably 
spend as much money as a lot of people do. For instance, um, if you take fertility, we uh, try to use as much natural fertility as possible mm-hmm. by having you know our own farm, our own livestock. Um, we sell as much off the farm with as much water in it as possible, uh, meat and milk. That means more of the nutrients that you know come from the land stay here and get re recycled, which means we don't have to buy in as many nutrients. Um, we use diversity, we use crop rotations. Those things also um, will cut your input costs, mm-hmm. both from um, uh, the standpoint of better soil health and you know less uh, nutrient needs mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, uh, help, help break up disease and, 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 and weed, weed cycles. So, you know, those, those, those things are all just, uh, you know, what, what we understood uh, a generation ago as, as, com- as common farming practices, but now we're seen as kind of radical. I, uh, I've got just a minute or two left here, John Gilbert, but the award talks about your sharing your knowledge on, on all of this with others. How, how have you gone about that, and what kind of response do you get from uh, some of those folks who, who may, be, may be Trump supporters but appreciate the need for sustainable farming practices? Is, is there such an animal, <laughs> actually? Well, you know, people are always, um, you know, concerned about uh, the things that uh, affect their lives particularly individually, and so um, if uh, there's one thing they see us doing that they're interested in, why they may be interested in it, you know, separate than than the whole package, and that's fine. Uh, People have to have a point of starting, but as as a general rule, we try to uh, uh, share our knowledge with anybody who's interested and, and share what we do. Not that uh, it's the same thing anybody else should do, but as an example of what's possible. Mm. Um, you know, we have been involved with the local watershed group for a number of years. You know, I was a soil conservation commissioner here in the county for a number of years. Um, you know, we speak out when we can, either, uh, you, know, um, you know, in written word or, or, or verbally, um, to spread the, spread the message of, um, you know, really, if, if nothing else, sustainability may not be the right, right catch-all term, but we are trying to encourage people to understand that there are consequences the way things are done, and if we are careful about how we do things, you know, those consequences can be positive instead of negative. Well, I hope uh, you, John, and your family are, are uh, able to continue working that land for another hundred and, what, some 20-something years. Uh, and I hope you won't mind, John, if we uh, check in with you from time to time up there in Iowa uh, as we move through this, uh, what will undoubtedly be a, uh, a another brutal political season, but uh, always interested to hear from Voices that are not necessarily being uh, uh, reported on from uh, Trump country uh, like like yours and like your families. And uh, you guys are just doing uh, great work. And I really appreciate you joining us today, John. It's been my pleasure. And you're always welcome to call back. Thank you, sir. You can uh, learn more about uh, Gibraltar Farms uh, on on Facebook by just going to Gibraltar Farms there. And you can also learn more about practical, sustainable farming from practicalfarmers.org. John Gilbert, thanks again for joining us today. You're welcome.
All right, a quick break, and we are back with the Green News Report uh, and uh, some breaking news. As I've been speaking with John, I'll, I'll look at that during the break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Uh, I like that guy. Yeah, he's John really Gilbert cool. <laughs> of Gibraltar Farms. Uh, he, well, let, let's make him our Iowa sustainable farming uh, correspondent, <laughs> shall we? Have yeah. him back in the future. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A bit of breaking news while I was talking to Mr. Gilbert. Uh, the, some pretty big news, actually. A panel of federal judges struck down North Carolina's congressional maps on Tuesday declaring it unconstitutionally gerrymandered and demanding that the Republican-controlled General Assembly redraw district lines before this midterm election, this year's midterm elections. Wow, that's that's a pretty big deal. That's a huge deal. The ruling was the uh, first time that a federal court had blocked a congressional map because the judges believed it to be a partisan gerrymander. They've blocked it in the past when it's a racial gerrymander, but the first time for a partisan purely partisan gerrymander. The New York Times reports this deepens the political chaos that has enveloped North Carolina in recent years. Uh, the judge, one of the judges wrote in, a, in, in the opinion uh, that I haven't read, but just going from the Times report here, we agree with plaintiffs that a wealth of evidence proves the General Assembly's intent to subordinate the interests of non-Republican voters and entrench Republican domination of the state's congressional delegation. Wow, good news, and uh, happens, I'm sure it will be uh, challenged. We'll see what the stolen Supreme Court has to say about this. Uh, they're already deciding on partisan gerrymandering. Man, there could be more uh, chaos and mayhem than we know politically uh, in this coming uh, upcoming midterm elections. Wow. I, I don't know that we needed any more chaos and mayhem <laughs> in our upcoming it. midterm elections, but this could shake things up. Uh, okay. Uh, speaking of breaking news, we've got some more out here in California that yep. we will get to right after our latest Green News report. The disaster has caused $306 billion in total damage. 2017 shatters record for costliest year ever for weather disasters in the United States. Concern is growing that the burning tanker could explode and cause an environmental disaster. Collision off the coast of China leaves oil tanker in flames. Opposition mobilizes against Trump's expansion of offshore drilling. Plus... 
Norway hits an inflection point on electric cars. And not a moment too soon, all of those reports and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There is a whopper of a storm hitting the East Coast right now. There hasn't been such an aggressive onslaught of white since Trump took office. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, more oil and more disaster now in the East China Sea. Yes, indeed. In the East China Sea, there are fears of a growing environmental disaster after an Iranian oil tanker collided with a cargo ship over the weekend and caught fire. Nearly all of the oil tanker's crew are missing. One body has been recovered as of airtime, and the tanker is leaking oil condensate, an ultralight kind of crude oil that is highly toxic and extremely flammable. In a BBC interview, Ocean Oceanographer Simon Boxall of the University of Southampton said if the ship sinks, it would be, quote, a time bomb on the seabed as it slowly released the toxic condensate, killing fish across hundreds of square miles in the area. I was struck by Boxall's quote where he said it's not like crude, which does break down under natural microbial action. This stuff actually kills the microbes that break the oil down. Yeah, it's really, really bad. And if this condensate spills... This spill would be three times the size of the Exxon Valdez oil spill back in 1989. Here in the U.S., the worst has passed for now for the Midwest and East Coast after an extreme cold event, followed by a powerful cyclone blizzard, followed by another extreme cold Arctic blast that brought the entire region to a standstill in California. The good news is the first storm of the rainy season has finally arrived after more than 200 days without significant rainfall. But the bad news is that it's bringing the threat of flash floods and landslides for areas that burned in the recent record-breaking wildfires in northern and southern California. These extreme weather disasters are also extremely expensive. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced on Monday that 2017 was the most expensive year on record for weather disasters in the U.S., costing $306 billion in total. That's more than $100 billion more than the previous record year, 2005. And that was the year we had Hurricane Katrina. I mean, 2017 just shattered all of the records. Yeah, from three record hurricanes, Harvey, Maria, and Irma, to tornado outbreaks and drought, to record deluges and record wildfires in the West, 2017 saw 16 weather events that each racked up more than a billion dollars in financial losses. No wonder you look so exhausted, Desi Doyen. (laughs) It's in line with climate scientists' predictions that climate change will bring more frequent extreme weather disasters, but it's also due in part to development into risky areas. That's according to Florida meteorologist Jeff Berardelli of WPEC in an interview on CBS. The amount of billion-dollar events has doubled from an average of five back in the 1990s to an average of more than 10 now. And so we're seeing a combination, kind of a recipe for disaster. More extreme weather and people living in more exposed and vulnerable areas. Well, it's only what you've been warning us about for 10 years or so on the Green News Report. I tried. Meanwhile, California Governor Jerry Brown has joined Oregon and Washington's governors in vowing to block the Trump administration's plan to expand offshore oil and gas drilling to 90 percent of federal waters, including areas that have been off limits for decades, like California, Florida, the Atlantic, 
and the Arctic. Even some Republicans, like Florida Governor Rick Scott, oppose the plan. State attorneys general and dozens of environmental groups have also vowed to fight the expansion of drilling in court. California regulators may slow down that offshore expansion, however, because the state has authority over fossil fuel infrastructure within three miles of shore. So California can say no to anything that is closer than three miles, and they can keep a pipeline from being built from those platforms back to shore. Yes, they can. And with oil as cheap as it is right now, it probably wouldn't pay for them to have to ship it in and out instead of using a pipeline, unless something causes the price of oil to skyrocket. There you go. Just saying. But finally, there is some good news. Norway has passed the inflection point when it comes to electric cars. Over half of all new cars sold in 2017 in Norway were all electric or hybrid cars, far outpacing conventional gasoline cars. Oh, it's over. If you've got an internal combustion engine car you were hoping to sell... I'd say move quickly. Just (laughs) saying. There you go. For much more on all of these reports and the stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. This little car means a heck of a lot to me. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. In addition to costly uh, financially, the body count from the 2017 and now worsening climate crisis in 2018 was also very large. We uh, lost more than 40 were killed in fires out west here last year. More than a dozen were killed uh, from the winter storms that slammed the Midwest and the east over the past week. We don't know how many were lost in Puerto Rico, unfortunately, in uh, from Hurricane Maria. It could be as many as a 1,000. And now uh, today's uh, Green News report, we talked about the California mudslides that were likely to happen. Well, now, unfortunately, they have. Yes, unfortunately, uh, at least 13 people are now confirmed dead in Santa Barbara County in storms that are now drenching these areas that were burned in those recent record wildfires. Uh, The storms have caused flash floods and mudslides that have swept at least six homes off of their foundation, according to emergency personnel. Uh, At one point, apparently, they got about that area got about a half inch of rain in just five minutes. Five minutes. At three o'clock in the morning. Three. In the mo- yeah, and that's what has made this worse. Uh, a lot of these homes are still not yet reachable, so that death toll could increase out here in the coming hours. Montecito, by the way, is the home of celebrities like Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres and so yeah. forth. So, uh, okay, uh, we will pick up this tale, I suspect, on tomorrow's broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our guest today, John Gilbert of Gibraltar Farms in Iowa. And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com. Though we do thank you for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on the air out here in 2018 as long as possible. You can drop me email on bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the bradblog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 